Welcome to San Diego Magazine's Happy Half Hour. This is our fun food and drink focused podcast all about eating and drinking well in San Diego. I'm Erin Chambers-Smith with San Diego Magazine. I've got Troy Johnson, our food critic who can't talk right now because his mouth is completely full. Of octopus carpaccio. Octopus carpaccio. Oh my God. I haven't had it yet. I mm. had a churro, mm-hmm. which was amazing with some sort of spicy chocolate sauce dipped on it. Um, Archana has cheese and bread over yeah. here. Yep. Archana is a food editor at the magazine. She edits all of Troy's stuff. We've got David over there who set up a lovely day for us here taping our podcast at the Westgate Hotel. Um, we thank them for sponsoring and we're going to talk to um, their chef and their mixologist coming up in a little bit. It's, it's, I'm it's, already happy. This it's is like my summer. favorite one. We're by the pool. Mm-hmm. It's know? like 72 and sunny I'm right now. I'm wearing seersucker and I own a watch. What is wrong with me? What happened? <laughs> You're all grown up. I'm all grown up. <laughs> and, and we have Fabrice who can cr- kind of probably explain to us what we're, we're, we're eating. Should we do that now or later? What do you, what do you think? <laughs> I, should I just shut up and let you, d- you do your job? Well, um, usually we start out the show talking about hot plates. Okay. And in case you guys haven't listened to our show, we always talk about restaurant <laughs> openings and closings. Uh, I try to train Troy before we start, but it doesn't really matter. Um, openings and closings around town. We're going to talk to the Westgate and a little bit more about all the food that we have here in a really fun jazz series they have coming up this summer. Uh, and then we have a great special guest. We have David Graham. He's the Deputy Chief Operating Officer of our city. Um, and he's quite the foodie. So I'm actually really excited to interview him. And He competed in the World Food Championships. And he won yeah. something, I think. And he d- makes a mean sandwich. And, and We're talking about him as, as if he's not sitting like five feet from us. He might slip in some like urban policy discussion in here. Wow. So I don't know. We'll see. The urban we'll urban policy of Octos Carpaccio coming <laughs> up on <laughs> the Happy Hour. Stay tuned for that. And then we have a really interesting um, hot topic. Archana is sent around. We've all been reading this uh, Vice story about restaurant consultants and sort of what goes into creating a mass chain menu that's applicable to everybody in all walks of life. It was There were some interesting nuggets in there, so yeah. we will talk about that. Apathy and sadness are really the, the two key things it you need for... It was a little Yeah. <laughs> Um, but let's go ahead and start it off with hot plates. Right. Archie, tell us what's new. So Cali Bun Me is opening up in Pacific Beach. I actually drove by it yesterday. There's a big coming soon sign. It's right as you get off the five at Grand Garnet um, on the right side. And uh, Bun Me, if you don't know, is a traditional Vietnamese sandwich. And they already have um, a location on Convoy in Kearney Mesa, but now they're coming to PB. Sort of where that in and out is, right off the You five. can never give enough uh, Bami places for me in, the, in this life. Totally. Uh, Bami is a representation of the French colonization of, of Vietnam. Um, so, I mean, it really, uh, it does, basically takes the French um, pâté, you know, and that's the base of the sandwich. And then they use, like, the um, pickled vegetables, which are really a Vietnamese specialty, on top of it. And it's a great melange of French-Vietnamese. Very cool. We got more coming to San Diego. Uh-huh. Um, how about Dolce at the Highlands? So uh, Dolce is in Carmel Valley's Pacific Highlands Ranch, but it's going to open as a Michi's Risto Bar at the end of this month. Carmel Valley is starting to come up. I oh mean, my God, that one Paseo that's coming is just going to be crazy. Wait, well, is this at one Paseo? No, it's not at one Paseo, but just in general, that whole Carmel Valley area. Yeah, well, I feel like if you tip San Diego, all the money falls that way. You know what I mean? I mean, it, 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 it just kind of all rolls right and kind of settles in, in the, yep. Car- the Carmel Valley In the middle area. right there. Right there. Absolutely. Yeah. So congratulations, Carmel Valley, because I grew up in North County. Um, <laughs> I have to say that once an episode. And, um, and there it's That and OB People's Market. That and OB People's Market <laughs> will be mentioned. Um, but I mean, the Carmel Valley, I mean, it was just it was a dull. All you had really was like market and you had Pamplemousse, you know, and a few other places. But I mean, uh, up there, Carmel Valley, Del Mar was just dead, mm-hmm. dead, 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 you know, and it's finally coming alive. You know, because, we've, well, we've kind of realized that we can't um, all afford to, s- to um, squeeze into the city center. And yep. they're all kind of living out in the yeah. exit. And it just seems like Del Mar doesn't open anything new anymore. So, No, why, why would won't. you? It, they're just frozen in time. I guess. They yeah. tried with that tasting room Del Mar, but that closed promptly. The thing everybody <laughs> loves is that brewery. 
by the track. Oh, oh viewpoint. People love that. Viewpoint. I've, I've been it's there. Beautiful. I will say that is a beautiful place. If you haven't been to view, Viewpoint Brewery, you got to go check it out. It's on the other side of um, like basically the main road that goes through Del Mar. One of those lagoony things. It's right on the lagoon. It's a perfect place to sit outside and have like nine beers or something like that. <laughs> okay. Or a couple. Um, okay, then. Speaking of beer, Amplified Ale Works, what's going on with that, Archie? They're opening a brew pub in the East Village, and they're taking over that old Stella Public House, Halcyon Space on 14th Street. And they're supposed to be opening in mid-July, and they're going to be doing beer, of course, but they're also going to do their own coffee, like Amplified Coffee, and they're going to be doing live music on the patio. David sent me this one. I can trust him for good beer info. Mm-hmm. It's still a, it's still a public house. If you don't know where this is, I mean, it, yeah, like 14th Street, it was basically in the redeveloping part of, of East Village, and, you know, it was, I feel like Stella and Halcyon, poor guys, were like the canary in that coal mine, because they were waiting for development to really take off and be done half the, their existence. It was construction over there but now it's i mean all those new residential places are going up people need somewhere to eat you know i mean that whole east village is starting to take off which we'll probably talk to david uh, a little bit later about that he probably have some insight on that mm-hmm. but i mean i have having lived in san diego in golden hill in east village and everything else east village is always that fringe where it almost happens and the economy you know takes a swan dive off a roof and it all shrinks back and it's finally happening do we know if there's gonna be food there um David, David says, says I think so. Okay. And there'll be beer. Beer is food. <laughs> it's carbs. It is carbs. Absolutely. I think that you need food at a beer place to make it universally popular because like, I don't drink a ton of beer, but I'll, ha- I'll happily go if there's good food. I think they're doing very much you want to sit and stay a while with the music, with the coffee, with the everything. Mm-hmm. The East Village-ness. You know, right. I mean, anything. You call it a village, it's automatically 200% hipper, right? <laughs> course yeah there it is it's all, all right. about the words nice. okay that's hot plates you guys make sure you check your san diego magazines because archna has a hot plates mm-hmm. column every month subscribe if you don't already uh, and then check out troy's blog sd food news at san diego magazine.com because he puts this kind of stuff in and around it um all month long in between the print issues and, uh, I, and i'm wrapping up my my um ex- my experience through plastic that did that t- 10 day no plastic challenge how'd and, you do um i did good i i, I did well I did uh, seven days. I was good. And then the three days just snuck up on me. You know, it was a long day of work, and I uh, ordered a margarita, and I think I finished the margarita before I went, oh, there's a plastic straw in this. Mm. You know, plastic is everywhere. You know, I mean, you get coffee in the morning, and there's all those single-serving plastic creamers and everything else. You know, I I got bamboo um, silverware that I was was using to travel with, and the housekeeping at the hotel threw it away. Thought it was trash. I'm like, oh, it was $15 worth of trash, man. I get it, though. It kind of looks like trash. It was my fault. If you're ever going to use bamboo silverware, you know, and you're on the road, and you want to be, you know, ecologically hippie OB-esque you know uh, you have to um, not leave your bamboo silverware in the empty container of food so uh-huh. you can learn these and more tips at Troy's blog. He's yes. been he's been trying to go do away with plastic in his eating and drinking life, and he's been chronicling that in a series of posts. So it's you're almost done. You have one more. Almost done. I'm basically I get a lot of feedback from the community and restaurateurs and chefs and bartenders and everything else. I'm basically going to compile that into what I've learned. I look forward to seeing that. Yeah. Uh, okay, and now we are moving on. You guys were thrilled to be sponsored this week by the Westgate Hotel. Uh, and we are going to be speaking with their chef and their mixologist uh, for a few minutes to tell us about what's coming up. They have a great poolside jazz series here starting in the summer. We're out taping the podcast right now. I guess you're not if you're listening to this in your car, you can't see the live, but go to Facebook because David's taking pictures of all the stuff on Facebook. It's beautiful on the rooftop here. Uh, and I'm going to welcome executive chef Fabrice Hardell and um, mixologist Irving Gonzalez to the show. Welcome, you guys. Good morning. Thank you for having us. 
Uh, the Fabrice, when I first started writing about um, food in San Diego 10 years ago, it was one of the first tastings I ever did. Fantastic tasting. He doesn't even remember me. Um, I, I asked him if he remembers me today, and he's like, no, I, not, I have no idea who you are. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I have love that. That keeps him humble. Thank it, you for it being does. honest. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I mean, honestly, like, you know, one of the better, better chefs in San Diego and one of my favorite places. I mean, look at this place. And we're on the third floor. Um, you got a little um, lap pool that um, I'm going to go in in about 15 minutes after this cocktail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In all my clothes. And I, I have your bio here. Let me read a little bit. You have more than 25 years of culinary experience. Uh, you bring all that to the Westgate Hotel. And you blend cooking techniques with fresh local produce for a twist on sophisticated French cuisine. Uh, tell us a little bit about the menu for the, for the summer, for the Poolside Jazz Series. So for the Poolside Jazz, we try to do uh, fresh food because... You know, it's a summer, we are on the deck, and so we have ceviche, we have an octopus carpaccio, very light food, and at the same time, things that you can share with people, so you can order a few appetizers and share with your friend. And we did this, like we have sliders. For the dessert as well, we try to do some uh, dessert that you can share. So we have little s'mores with house-made marshmallows, you burn them, and we have uh, um, chocolate fondue, and then we have little popsicle uh, sampler that uh, you can order from the menu. So fun. We're sampling a lot of this here today. And for those of you not living in Lyon, um, he said um, uh, s'mores. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> and s'mores. they look like fancy marshmallows, too. And then we also have Irving Gonzalez, Irving Gonzalez, excuse me, mm. an award-winning mixologist. Um, and you are the poster child for dedication to craft. Through your years' experience in Baja, California, and San Diego, you've developed a passion for crafting unforgettable cocktails. I know you brought up a few for us today. Tell us about what you made today. So here is to, well, uh, go with the food of the chef also. We're trying to do, like, the cocktails really fresh. We make our version of a Hemingway daiquiri that uh, Troy is drinking right now. Also, uh, we're throwing to the menu just uh, Copacabana Mai Tai, which is a regular Mai Tai, but we're tr- throwing that, like, a Malahat San Diego rum, which is a really a nice spice rum. Yeah, fantastic. Ma- Malahat's fantastic. I love yeah. it. It's great. And also, of course, can you can go to a pool and don't have a sangria, right? So we have... The Westgate Hotel Sangria, it's made with licorice trig and some rosé wine. You made it with rosé wine, okay. That's correct. Yeah. That's nice. What, what else What else do you do in the in the sangria? Because sangria is polarizing. There is some really bad sangria on the market. <laughs> you know, I mean, you go to some restaurants and you're like, ah, it's just too sweet, it's treacly. What do you do to that? That's correct. So it uh, goes with the strega. You know, the strega is more like a licorice kind of flavor, more that uh, like a digestive Italian liqueur. So we're trying to pair that with the stone fruit uh, puree, which is uh, unseasoned, mm-hmm. and just top it off with some rosé wine, which is more like dry than sweet. So it goes in a really, really good combination. Hope you like it. I'll be the taste of that. <laughs> taste it. Tell me what you think. Mm. Ooh, see, now that's really good. Because it does taste like wine. And it doesn't taste like sugar. It doesn't taste like t- too much fruit. It doesn't taste like a jam. That's correct. You I, don't want, I don't want a super sweet thing. No, like that's dry. <laughs> and it goes with food. You know what I mean? That octopus carpaccio is fantastic. Um, and it's, it's really light. If you can't, I know you guys can't see this right now, but I mean, this octopus carpaccio is basically laid out like you would have any carpaccio, really thin meat. He's compressed it together with watermelon, microgreens, and, and cheese. Really nice, Fabrice. Thank you. And then tell us, we, we would be remiss to talk about food at the Westgate if we didn't mention Sunday brunch. Tell us about your vision for Sunday brunch and that that tradition that the hotel has. So the Sunday brunch has been going on, I guess, since the hotel opened. You know, like I've been myself uh, 17 years at the hotel, do Sunday brunch from 10 to 2. And it's you have, I believe, like eight live cooking stations from sushi station, dim sum station. And we have a crepe station, carving station, all breakfast item. And we have as well an ice cream bar. 
You do dim sum as well. We do dim sum as well. I mean, it's nice. over the top, but we featured yeah. it in the magazine mm. many times, and it's just, it's really is sort of a, uh, a special experience. If you haven't done it, I would say it should be on your foodie bucket list for sure in San Diego. Yeah, for sure. And you've talked about the design of this place too at Westgate. What I always like about it, I mean, it feels like I'm, I, it's a cross between like massively great architecture and a grandmother's doily. You know, like, <laughs> I really, I, it has that old school ornate feel and you don't get that in San Diego very often. I always complain about having, being a San Diego native is that everything is basically stucco, you know, or it looks like Sedona or it looks like Arizona or something like that. I mean, this is like old school, I think German architecture, isn't it? Uh, well, it was based from a b- mix between French and Italy. Okay, you not know, even like German. Okay, not German. Mm, that's great. Not even and cool. like the, oh. ge- the chandeliers are from Italy, and you have a, a few furniture that are were handmade in France. Oh yeah, you uh, see like the old grandfather clock down yeah. there. It just—I mean—it looks like it should speak and be in Beauty and the Beast. You know, it's just—it's a beautiful place. It's very cool. We thank you guys so much for sponsoring the podcast. I'm going to rem- remind everybody again that the Sunset Poolside Jazz Series at the Westgate happens on Thursday evenings from 6.30 to 9.30. It has this great, fresh, um, seasonal summer menu mm-hmm. and cocktails, and that runs um, every Thursday from June 7th through September 13th. Uh, you guys can go to sandiegomagazine.com, and we're going to link to all the information and the details for you. And make sure you tune into the podcast next week because we're going to have Gilbert Castellanos, who runs the jazz program for the Poolside Jazz, and we're going to be talking to him about how he curates the jazz to go with the food. So thank you again. Thank, Thank you. you very much. All right. We'd like to welcome our special guest this week. We have David Graham, a long sought after guest on the Happy Half Hour podcast. We've bantered around your name many for many months, Archie and I have, trying to get you booked. Um, you are the Deputy COO, um, Chief Operating Officer of the City of San Diego. You've competed in World Food Championships in the, in the sandwich category. Um, you've also been a sous chef to your mother at cooking competitions, and you've perfected the smoked Santa Maria style tri-tip. I mean, you've done a lot of other stuff. I have like some Harvard stuff on here. There's a lot of things in your bio you've spoken at Harvard Tech Smart Cities and Smart Cities Week in Barcelona. You've, you've done a lot of a lot of innovative things for our city, so welcome and thanks for joining us. You know, Renaissance, man. Maybe not as Renaissance as Troy over here, but... Uh, Look, I'm just a dude with cheese. <laughs> hey, I, wanna, I want that job. <laughs> he does have a good... He does have a good gig. But you were just saying that all the restaurants and openings and things we were talking about at the top of the show that you were involved in a lot of that stuff. Well, yeah, what's so exciting is, you know, I get to oversee about a quarter of the city, but most of our redevelopment, you know, smart cities work and really neighborhood creation. And if you think about it, you know, you are what you eat is the old adage. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with a city, right? You can figure out a city based upon the restaurants and markets. And that's why I love uh, something like this. It really is celebrating great restaurants, great food, great music, great culture. You get it. You get Mm -hmm. it. We need to have good food to be a good city. Is very true. And San Diego for most of its history. I mean, how long have you been in San Diego? So I came in 96 when we were pretty much a food wasteland. A wasteland. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was. It was Yates. It was a poem by Yates. It was it was literally a wasteland. I mean, it was it was like, you know, the boathouse. Mr. A's. I always say that know? Coco's was everybody's neighborhood restaurant. Uh, seriously. It's it like, was. hey, would you rather go to a chain tonight or a chain? What yeah. do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Coco's or Applebee's. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what yeah, we had. Yeah, Bob's Big Boy we had. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you've seen it. So you've seen it grow. I mean, you've really, I mean, and I'm sure being in, involved in the city, you've helped restaurants um, land here too, right? Oh, it, it's huge, right? Um, you know, we're, we're helping with some small business loans to get in some of those food desert areas, restaurants up and running, you know, the Stella Halcyon that it was unfortunate that they were kind of the first movers there that entire park fault line park and what was intended to be this 
food and kind of seeing, you know, mm-hmm. we, we were dealing with homelessness issues and yeah. now we're kind of coming back out of that. But great to see somebody else going into that space. And there's just some really neat parts about San Diego and it all ties back to the food. And what are, you, what are the what parts of San Diego are you really excited about? Like, the, I mean, the things are really starting to happen right now. Sure. Well, of course, we've seen North Park, Uptown, Golden uh-huh. Hill, yeah. those areas. We just updated brand new neighborhood plans for those. So really expect to see, hopefully in the Golden Hill area, a lot of revival and, and redevelopment. So now, what does that mean? So neighborhood plan, meaning it, does that change sort of what, what is legally allowed to be built and what the incentives are to get people to go into those places? So making Golden Hill a little, a little bit more like a North Park? Yeah, exactly. So Uptown, North Park, Golden Hill, we approve new community plans. And mm-hmm. so that's really kind of helping streamline the regulations. So business owners can open up businesses, so the parks can get built, so that infrastructure gets built. I mean, that's what ends up attracting people to certain parts of the city, like mm-hmm. easier, faster, quicker, not having to spend a lot of money. That's where they want to go. Because I lived in Golden in Golden Hill. I lived on 22nd and E for five years. And, you know, I loved Golden Hill. And it was such a vibrant, like most of the musicians I knew live up there, lived up there, artists, everything else. But it wasn't really a walkable community in terms of like, you know, being able to get a lot of food options, a lot of, there was basically Krakatoa, you know, Luigi's Pizza. Mm-hmm. And, and Turf Club. And, and Turf Club. Yeah, that was it. You know, so you want a little bit more than that because there's a lot more people, I think, that we could sustain that, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And then it's also how do you get other places? So you guys have seen like the dockless bikes and scooters, and now mm-hmm. it's like easier to get to different neighborhoods that you maybe wouldn't have previously. We had a chef for the first time bring up the scooters. Um, Brian Malarkey talked about it on a couple a couple weeks ago on the podcast about how he's his new restaurant is in that northern part of Little Italy and he loves it because he's like that was a barrier to get people from the walkable part of Little Italy all the way over to my part and he loves those scooters. He was the first one to bring it up but I mean as we do this show weekly and a lot of times I would say I would say one of the most recurring themes from chefs is just the regulation and the difficulty to mm-hmm. open what they want and they have a vision or the community wants something but then the you know sort of the red tape in between or what is yeah explain us that but what is the red tape that you run into the most or you see with the city that you know restaurateurs and local business owners complain about and what would you like to change yeah so i mean you have of course all your health permits um that you have to get that's all the county um but then it's you know does this can this business be here um, and, and so we're trying to have more flexible types of zones that would allow for, you know, a coffee manufacturer to be next to a restaurant, to be next mm-hmm. to, you know, um, artisan community. Like those are the sorts of flexible things that I think today most businesses are clean and fairly green mm-hmm. or moving that way. Mm-hmm. It's not the old heavy manufacturing days. And in fact, you mentioned malarkey. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, most places do have good practices stay, yeah. um, uh, environmentally now. So it makes it a lot easier for them to be in a neighborhood. To yeah. all be near, nearby Yeah, but you also other. have to answer to the neighbors, <laughs> right? Uh, you know what? If you're going to be an interesting, cool, innovative city, you got to take a few knocks from the neighbors. Because mm-hmm. if not, you know, the talent that wants to be here that are going to power our great companies and life sciences or like take a farmer and seahorse. Now we have Alexandria right. at these like biotech firms and, and businesses bringing in restaurateurs like Malarkey because that's the sort of quality that they want. And now I'm trying to convince people to come downtown with those same great companies. So you see San Diego's campus opening up in about two years down here in Super East exciting. Village. Really exciting things happening for not just downtown, but most of our neighborhoods. Yeah, tell, tell us a little bit more about that and how, what we'll do to the neighborhood. Well, so has everybody been to Courtyard? Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. So Courtyard One was an idea of two architecture students and me. Um, to take this old city lot that and was Rad Lab, it. right? Wasn't that what? Rad yeah. Lab, mm-hmm. Philip and his partner, and and now you know they were there for three years. That's the new site where affordable housing and the new UC San Diego fifty thousand kind of showcase campus is going to go. Well, 
What excited me about that was all these shipping containers could move to another location that was another city site that was decrepit and blighted. And so now Courtyard 2, if you've been there, is even better than the first one. Uh, dog run, bar, restaurant, music venue. Way deep in a part of the East Village that you wouldn't normally stroll to from where we are right now, like in the middle part of downtown. But So it's sort of this idea of taking, you know, something that that isn't there and then temporarily putting something there that activates it immediately but then moves away you don't have to permanently stick something and just unleashing that creativity of folks like that right and so i try to get to yes that's that's we really have a city that is trying to say how can we help you how can we make your kind of vision of the of the city come true now, does that really happen? I mean, get, get to yes, because most restaurant tours that I talk to, Park. most restaurant <laughs> tours that I talk to are like, God, San Diego is so hard to get through all of the regulations. I mean, how do we compare? You know, uh, comparatively, when I look at other cities that are about our size, it's on por- par, or in some cases, a little bit better. Okay. I think that there's a lot of state regulations that we're still steal- dealing with that aren't more innovative and flexible and so we need to go try to change those rules to make things easier for for these folks just who want to start a business and do delicious things now specifically what what, what would, you, would you like to change on a state level well um some of it around water and water filtration oddly enough there's some issues there you know we have regulations about your grease traps i mean it's it is really i think you could rethink um, your environmental health permits in, in a way that says, you know, what are the food standards of today and how can we do it differently? And that's why we have all these food truck operators that are, you know, get frustrated. They want to stay in the food truck as opposed to a brick and mortar because of the cost. Right. I don't know if you've been to MG Buyer in, in East Village. Phenomenal um, uh, ceviche and incredible food. Um, but they had to take a risk to go from the food truck to the brick and mortar. And that's expensive. Okay, but now I want to talk to you about your actual cooking skills because right. I know we're like globbing on to you to talk about the city politics right. stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but you're like a you're like a real deal cook. Like you cook and you've won food competitions. You're wearing a nice suit. You have a city official pin thing on. But like a lot of people have told us and we've heard about you that you're a real foodie and you cook and you're known for this. So tell us a little bit about how you what your passion for this is. Well, if I had the day off, I'd be in my rainbows and jeans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't do seersucker like you do, Troy. But. Uh, <laughs> It'd definitely be a t-shirt. It's, and it's my out. last resort wear. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, so I got uh, involved in cooking when I was very young, eight years old, um, cooked in the kitchen with my mom, loved it. She was a nutritionist and just, it was a, a lot of different types of food. You know, I grew up, uh, our barbecues in the LA area um, with our family and friends were, were usually, you know, street tacos instead of burgers. It was, you know, menudo instead of mac and cheese. We grew up in... Nice. Yeah, that was the way of it because, you know, we're in the high desert, you know, more Latino area. And so that's how I grew up and, and crossing the border down to Tijuana a lot. Um, La Glorieta is where we get our street tacos. I mean, that's, that's the food that I really liked probably what brought me here to San Diego too because that's such a part of the San Diego cuisine mm-hmm. as far as my cooking goes though um, my mom when she sort of retired decided she started doing cooking competitions it was just a fun thing and this is kind of when more and more of the cooking shows were on the Iron Chefs the Chopped mm-hmm. and people started saying well let's kind of do this it wasn't the kind of Pillsbury Doughboy contest anymore it was like fun and interesting and competitive cooking and people with a passion for it uh-huh. yeah and everybody likes to get a horse you know what i mean everybody <laughs> yeah. likes to get a horse and, be- and bet on it mm-hmm. you know what i mean and if it's I, I go back and forth about cooking competitions because obviously i'm on guys grocery game so i can't speak too badly <laughs> about them you know but I, I there's part of me it's like what do we really need to make a competition out of this but there's also part of me it's like you know what if that gets people interested in food fantastic oh yeah. absolutely 
So my mom did the World Food Championship, um, which was in Vegas at the time, which was like this ultimate food fight that was professionals, semi-professionals, and just home cooks like like myself. And I loved it so much. She ended up that year um, making it into the top ten, which is so really she's cooking and you're her Sue back Sue there chef. whipping up and trapping and, and whatever. And I swear she shouts orders just like the best exec chef you've ever seen. <laughs> cool. Go, her last name is Ramsey. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Completely changes up the the entire relationship between uh, mother and son. But uh, that was a great year, and I decided, hey, this is something I really want to do. So uh, in the next two years, I did that, and she encouraged me to do this sort of quirky one called the Game Day Chef Competition which ran for a couple of years. Um, it was sponsored by Chevron. It was around the entire country, but you were supposed to do um, basically game day type food, but you had to use or got points for using up to five ingredients from a convenience store. Oh, oh all right. So tell me, what did you do? I, you yeah, give me one of your dishes and what did you use? Doritos. Of course. <laughs> cool ranch. That close that. enough. Close <laughs> enough. So I, I actually qualified playing and they do it at the at these college football games. So it was the Alabama game um, that I went out and competed at. And I had thought, OK, what is San Diego and what do people what have people not really had? That's really great for us. And how could you make that game day? And I decided, well, the California burrito. Right. That's something that is so San Diego, or at least Southern California. What if we were to put it on a bun? So I created a California burrito on a bun. You had 50 minutes to assemble and make every single ingredient. So the carne asada, fresh made guacamole, pico de gallo, all on a, a small bun with crushed um, Lay's Limon potato chips. Because I had to figure out. <laughs> I was going to say, what about the French fries? Oh, yeah. How am I going to figure out exactly that? The French fries and five ingredients. So I had some tapatio in there. I had some paste picante. I had lime juice. The biggest kicker was when you go to the south where wow, I was Where did you put the Red Bull? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and it was so much fun. I mean, of course, I brought in fresh ingredients, and I used some of those just as a little bit of a base, right? I, I, you know, you got to make it more fun. Well, you go to the south, and I figured, of all things, I'll, I'll bring everything with me, the meat, etc. But they're going to have to have the potato chips. I can get those anywhere. Mm-hmm. Regionalism is a weird thing in the food <laughs> industry, right? It is. So I arrive in Alabama, and I am looking for Limon potato chips because they're all over the place here, right? The same green bag are dill in Alabama. Huh. I was like, that is disgusting. A so dill potato chip. Dill potato chip. That ketchup blazed potato chips. Well, what? And, oh, yeah. Ketchup. Oh, I, Ooh, I, I just came back like from the Midwest. I came back from the Midwest, and it's almost the same thing. I mean, but dill. Dill. And it's not, like, fresh. Right. Dill. No. <laughs> no, it's like dill pickled juice dill. Oh, exactly. Wow. It's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Maybe it was juice, which sounds very natural in a former life. But so what happened? Tell us the result. Did you win anything so in that competition? I won. I did. I won the regional. I substituted uh, uh, the salt and vinegar with a little bit of lime juice. And so that came off the exact same. And then the big game was here at the Rose Bowl where everybody from these regions around the country who qualified like I had gets to compete. Well, my mom qualified. No, you had to go up against mom. No, you didn't. I had to go up against mom at the Rose Bowl. Oh, my God. <laughs> in front of all these people in kind of the game day area. Wait, when was this? How long ago was this? This is in 2016. Did we, we missed this completely at San Diego Magazine. <laughs> I don't know where we're Amazing. We did you we sma- did your mom smack you, you down? Did she give you like, you know, like that kind of like, like, look, you're going down, son. You, know, you were never my son. You're adopted. <laughs> there was one of those, you know, it'd be great if you win, son. But not pulling any punches. <laughs> so, 
So um, it was really fun. The celebrity, they had a few celebrities there from TV. Some guy from The Bachelor was the announcer. And uh, so the final announcements come out. Um, and she won. Of no! Course. Wow! <laughs> and I tied for third. That was like, oh, next time, mom. Next time. <laughs> next time, I'm coming after you, mom. Okay, we're gonna look this up and find a link on YouTube or something to put on the website so you guys can all see this. I'm sure that there's a link to some oh, yeah. version of this on. Where was it broadcast? Was it on TV or was it on YouTube or where was it? Yeah, it's on YouTube. Oh, we gotta find. David, you are now one of my favorite people in the world because <laughs> you're not only are you planning our city, but there's somebody in the head of the city. You always, I never, no offense. Um, I when I picture like the people that are the head of our city, I don't picture a really rich cultural um, bastion of a person. I picture them <laughs> to be very. Well, I that's kind of me. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I picture I them to be have worked their butts off involved. and worked and worked and worked and not have too many outdoor or outside. Um, and passions, you know, but you went up against your mom in the Rose Bowl <laughs> and you didn't win, which was very smart of you. Yes. You know, that was very good. You can still be her son. I'm still in the will. So <laughs> we're good there. Smart, okay, you yeah, moderate. Just, just good to know we have foodies up at the top. Actually, it's yeah, this is what I had always heard about mm-hmm. you. So we, w- we really wanted to bring you on here. OK, we have a really interesting hot topic. I know Archana wants to talk about it. But first, give everybody your Santa Maria style tri-tip. You, you do that? Santa oh, Maria absolutely. Style? So um, lemon pepper, right? Year, year and a half. We lived uh, as a kid. We lived I- in San Luis Obispo area. And that's where I fell in love with that tri-tip sandwich at the San Luis so uh, Farmer's Market. It is just phenomenal. And so my, my take on it is a little bit different. Um, I have a pit barrel smoker that I smoke the tri-tip in. Um, it's a blend of uh, your usual you know, brown. Sh- Actually, first I start apple cider vinegar marinade. Um, then you have brown sugar. Um, I actually use a little bit of achote in there. Um, and then some roasted serrano um, pepper in the blend along with black pepper, salt, um, our large grain Himalayan salt um, and then that basically goes on as a rub um, you'll throw that on a few more times and it comes out just incredible and most people don't know that was a very cheap cut of meat right it's yeah. considered subprime mm-hmm. um, it's the sirloin area but you do that slow cooked or on a barbecue over red oak or applewood and it's just the best thing in the world yeah barbecues i mean that's that's how you macgyver anything you take a paper clip and you make it into a rocket mm-hmm. you know i mean that's that's the thing about barbecue you take that like substandard thing and make something out of it kind of like my career All right, so we want to get to this hot topic. We thought this was interesting. Archana found it on Vice, their Munchies blog. There's an interesting story. We'll link to it so you guys can read it. It's pretty long, but it's all about the science behind restaurant menus and how when you have a chain restaurant that's a huge investment, you you hire these restaurant consultants nowadays to basically come in and kind of assess and mitigate risk on your menu. And it goes into the the restaurant in the lead of the story is a San Diego-based chain, and we were trying to figure out which chain it was, a pizza chain. But it it goes into how this... um, restaurant consultancy comes in and is like no you need to rotate your thing this way and you need to switch out this beer for this beer and they just really kind of surgically i don't know have at it i just want to be as popular as the second least expensive wine on the list that's it i mean they they really they think about everything when it comes down to menus where they place things you know uh i mean everything what was your biggest takeaway from this aren't you um it was a lot of this came because the rise of the fast casual restaurant so Mm -hmm. people are really kind of picky now you want convenience but you want to feel good about where you're getting your food where the food is coming from you want to indulge but you want to have some healthy options too so these restaurant consultants are sort of hired to 
semi brainwash us, semi market to us. I mean, it's all just business. Like it's it's sort of like the subliminal messaging of a menu and how something is placed and how people like the word bacon more than they like the word pork, so they should use bacon. Or how should you say char grilled? Like what are the different adjectives you can use and how you can make an item on the menu more compelling because of it? And yeah, um, dead swine does not that have doesn't, a doesn't that work. doesn't know. Yeah. yeah, no, that doesn't work well. So they're talking about the word choices on menus, the placement of display cases, um, and a lot of it is due to the fast casual rise. I'm going to link to it so you can read. And we were trying to figure out what this pizza. They, they say it's a 20 chain. unit pizza chain, and we kept thinking pizza chain pizza places that you could eat in San Diego. But our great guest David suggested it's probably a company that just operates out of San Diego. Well, and well, as North County pizzerias, actually, when I was looking at it, um, looks like it's probably flipping pizza. Flippin', flippin pizza, pizza so might be the basis of it. Yeah. Yeah. They have about 20 stores and a couple of the names that they cite in there are the, uh, the Triboro pizza and a oh. few others. It's in there. So huh, that's my Sherlocking yeah. skills. Thank um, God. You got you're a, a better reporter than another. You, ha- you have a career as a <laughs> we'll journalist. You, we'll I'm so sorry. Credits on this episode. <laughs> 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 produced by. Well, but you know, the thing about, I, feel, I go up against chains a lot, you know, because chains, chains to me, uh, they, they have to by their very nature. They have to go towards the center. You know, they have to go towards, you know, the spice level has to sit within the 40 to 60 range. The, you know, the daringness of the cuisine has to go to the 40, 60 range. They have to aim for the lowest com- common denominator. Because their audience isn't this. Because their space. audience isn't, yeah. They're not, they're not like, hey, come foodies. If you're really adventurous, you know, come to our place. They're not going for the adventurous um, eater. So the octopus carpaccio probably not hitting flipping pizza. So not going to be at flipping pizza. No, exactly. <laughs> it so, is I mean, really good though. Did you, you know, know, and that's, that's phenomenal. But I will say this about um, corporations and that. I think that a lot of independent businesses can learn from these because I see so many great chefs and so many great restaurateurs fail because they don't know how to do the bottom line. They don't know how to do these small things. You know, like one of the biggest restaurant groups in town, um, I talked to uh, Arsalan, who owns Consortium Holdings, which is born and raised, and uh, Ironside, Craft Commerce, Commerce, everything, right? So he actually said to me, he's like, you know who I really, I'm studying? He's all, Cheesecake Factory. Because Cheesecake Factory has such good standards and practices. If you can operate a business that serves millions of people a day and somehow get them continue coming back, that quality control, they have it down in, in Cheesecake Factory, down to like, this is exactly how many seconds you turn it. You exactly how many, this is exactly how many ounces you weigh it. Everything is perfectly quality controlled so they don't lose money and they keep voting. I remember when he was on the podcast, he talked about that. Like if you can train a kitchen staff to cook 400 menu items... That is like an amazing feat. I mean, I don't think he's following their ethos about food, but I think just from an operational no. perspective, he, he was very much in awe of any company having been in the business that long that could train a kitchen staff to crank out 400 menu items. Yeah, because I mean, Arsalan has all the art. You know, the consortium has all the art. They've got all the ambiance. they got the design. they got everything else. You know, and they've got good food. They're like, you know, but what every single like indie business needs is that kind of chain um, approach to quality control, to waste, everything else. I mean, they lose, I mean, local restaurants lose so much of their like bottom line just through waste because they overbought, you know, they didn't sell a menu item this way. I mean, they lose so much to waste. Well, we'll link to this article so you guys can read more about it. One of the things I thought was interesting is that 
it really kind of goes in somewhat deep into the guy's job who is the restaurant consultant. And I find that really fascinating. It's a cool job. The guy, I don't know what he studied. I think he studied marketing or something. And he's like, I never thought I would be sitting here like researching like French fry containers and which ones sold the best. But it's really interesting. I love cool job stories. So it's kind of almost reads like a cool job story. We will make sure to link to it. We're just about done with our show. We always end with Small Bites, our own personal recommendations of what we've been eating and drinking lately. We call it Two People 50 Bucks. Um, So we are going to get started. And David is nudging me to remind you all that we are coming upon our 100th episode next week. The next episode is our 100th episode. Uh, We're taping from a boat in the middle of San Diego Bay. So exciting. Um, There's going to be some surprises in store. So you guys make sure you listen next week. And you guys can actually join us on the boat too if you want. Right? You can. Yeah, you join us on the boat. I mean, we're going to be doing a, a tour around the harbor. Hopefully this we haven't drawn our winners by the time this airs. But if we did, then you can still buy a ticket. <laughs> you, can still, you can still buy a ticket, right? And go, come hang out. I mean, that is, I actually, I used to work on the Hornblower. I think we've gone through the story before. I got fired and they were absolutely right to fire me. Um, but David says you've told the story seven times. <laughs> he just flashed me a seven. God damn. <laughs> but it's okay because I you think there's a lot material. of new material. I know. Consistency is a is a value. It's yeah. a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. No, no, we got to go into the. I think the spoken word is the next. Yeah, story, but, but not but, this week. But I will say that it was one of my favorite things. I mean, it's just a tootle around the bay, you know, and and especially the captains of those boats actually know so much about every single thing that dots the harbor. They can tell you like what's in that nuclear submarine that we just passed. And I'm like, oh, it was fascinating when I worked there. So. Yes, fun two hour happy hour cruise. Go to sdmag.com/slash one hundred to learn more about it. Okay, we're just about done. Two people, fifty bucks. Um, I would Enjoy say the food critic. Okay. Where have you been eating? Well, I would say that I worked at Hornblower. Okay. Okay, that's eight. That's eight. Like, should we make it ten? Uh, <laughs> just say it again and again. All right. Here's I, I just I just put this in um, one of my best places to eat. I revisited a classic. We were talking about them the other week on on the podcast um, because you ended up eating there because there's no um, uh, viable options in Balboa Park itself. Oh yeah. Urbana. If you want to go back to, I mean, I, I went back there and I had their um, polenta with ragu again. It is one of the best things that I've eaten in San Diego. They use the whey from their house-made ricotta, and they make that um, the uh, that as the braising liquid for their their pork, and then they braise it until it's tender and falling apart through a mirepoix, everything else, you know, local seasonable vegetables, and they put it over that ragu, which is just, I mean, that polenta, which is just phenomenal and creamy. It's so good. And they do it like at the table, so it's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, it's, it's on it's on a big cutting board, you know, and it is, you know, there's the meat on top of the, the ragu, and you just spreading it everywhere it was one of my one of my favorite bites great two people 50 bucks how about you archie do you have one uh there's a little deli in south park called grant's market or grant's marketplace um it's near buena forqueta and my husband usually gets the leg of lamb with pesto and you can get a nice spread of goat cheese on it and has this like rosemary focaccia bread Mm -hmm. and then i just got like a boring but delicious to me a veggie sandwich with cheese and we got some chips and drinks and we went to la jolla to watch the sunset and we had a picnic and that's more like two people 25 bucks but hey and it's a lovely market they're doing some renovations they have some cool little groceries you know south park needs a grocery store David. Working on it. <laughs> and Balboa Park needs more food, but I won't put you through I that. I am working on that. Good. That we saw that the Village okay. Grill RV oh, is well, out wait, there. Wait, we got to talk about I that. I want to go back to David then. Well, Next this one. This has been our rant. 200th episode. We'll get. We'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you. Well, we had Jennifer Davies. If you guys are interested in all of our rants about Balboa Park, we did have Jen Davies on a couple episodes ago, so you guys can go find that one and hear what she had to say. We, we did learn some new things about the happy hour at the Nat. We didn't know about that. And working on Spanish Village, maybe something. Yep, and absolutely. Village Grill, that that's out. Uh, I just hope you get like fifty people applying for that. I hope so too. And we're looking at some other places, maybe you know, in the summertime to activate. So, uh, very interested in really seeing how that's a place that people just are drawn for food and drink. 
Yes. Okay. So how about you? Two people, 50 bucks to spend. Where would you send someone? Uh, right now, it would be MG Buyer because if you like ceviche um, or fish tacos, uh, which are the San Diego things, I guess. At least that's what everybody from outside of San Diego tells me. <laughs> um, the God's Plate there. So it's basically this, this amazing set of like octopus and whitefish and shrimp. Um, with the little tostadas on the side, I usually order a extra flour tortilla and it's just, you know, digging into some of the best seafood and spicy, limey, fresh dishes. And then go have a cocktail, one of the Hemingway ones at Fairweather afterwards. That's fantastic. This this is a food truck. It's it's yeah. uh, ten, it's on tenth now um, yeah. at the park, so it's right around the used corner from the ballpark. Used to be a food park. truck. Oh, yep. used to be a food mm-hmm. truck, and now it's brick and mortar. Brick yeah. and mortar. All right, we will link to it so that you guys can find it. Thank you so much for joining us, David Graham, uh, with the City of San Diego. We're gonna get his recipe. Um, we're gonna get online. his recipe for tri tip. Put that up on the website, that. and we're gonna put up a link to the video where your mom beat you. <laughs> beat you out with her. Great. I'm gonna find that video. We're gonna put up a video of where your mom beat you. This <laughs> became a very different as podcast. a mother. I kind of love that. Um, okay, thanks and thanks so much, you guys, for listening. Next week is our hundredth episode. Can't wait to share it with you. See you guys. <laughs>